the risk is that in the short term, where there's a cost-cutting mentality, any mention of you know big-ticket outlay, technology, etc., will raise obvious skepticism. Welcome to the Wait and Speak podcast. I'm your host, Rukwir Wait. KPMG has produced several publications in a series on aviation and aerospace. Given the investment, R&D development, and regulatory timelines in aviation are much longer, strategic decisions about where to place bets or anticipate disruption for 5 to 10 years out starts now. The most recent publication focused on ground handling. I spoke with Chris Brown to learn more. Chris, the first two years of 2020s have been characterized by a fight for survival for many ground handlers, enduring substantial numbers of layoffs or furloughed staff. Is cost-cutting a solution to survive? Yeah. Hi, Rick. Thanks for having me again. The aviation ecosystem has obviously been very badly hit by the pandemic. In the headlines, maybe, are airlines and airports, but obviously it trickles down into the supply chain as well as other providers of services to, to aviation, such as ground handlers. In the case of ground handlers, they are already in normal times set up to swing in terms of staff count. So in terms of busy season, quieter season, they're, they're already set up to have that flexibility. But nonetheless, this has been unprecedented over the last two years in terms of the disruption to their to them and their income streams. So clearly, like the rest of the industry, they've had to, to look at cost efficiencies, furloughing of staff, you know, permanent layoffs, etc. And a cost-cutting mindset after or in a pandemic is, is very understandable. But we know mm-hmm. from you know, past economic downturns uh, across uh, sectors, uh, whatever the sector really, that a pure cost-cutting mindset on its own won't leave you in a good position three or five years uh, later. What are some of the short-term and longer-term options outside of cost-cutting? I think it's fair to say that ground handling has some low-hanging fruit in front of it in terms of looking at its core processes that it's traditionally done. You know, that's the way we do things around here in terms of applying a Lean Six Sigma approach to that and really taking out inefficiencies and really upping the, the level of training for each turnaround. So compared to some other industry sectors, you know, taking an extreme example like Formula One, where they literally practice the same routine hundreds of times for every real life uh, run, that the ratio is much lower. And with the relative lull over the next year or two that we know will still happen in terms of quieter traffic volumes, presents the ideal opportunity rather than just seeing it as a negative. It's a real opportunity for ground handlers. And, and are there some bigger ticket items that can be considered as well? Yeah, absolutely. In the longer term, there's a number of technologies that we see that are highly relevant for them. Obviously, the, the risk is that in the short term, where there's a cost-cutting mentality, any mention of you know big-ticket outlay, technology, etc., will raise obvious uh, skepticism. But I think there's ways around that as well in terms of funding within the ecosystem because these technology items disrupt not just ground handlers but also NSPs, uh, airports, and airlines. And therefore, it's probably in the, the joint interest uh, of, of all those parties to invest together and share the, the returns. So examples of the different types of technology that we see impacting ground handling this decade would include artificial intelligence combined with big data and Internet of Things. Those three combine, I think, powerfully together to help real-time decisioning. So at the moment, to some extent, some players are investing in this for advanced scheduling decisions and enhanced decisions in terms of uh, allocating uh, equipment, uh, allocating people on the day. 
But I think as this develops and you get more live streams in terms of weather, in terms of accurate arrival times for, for airplanes and so on, and as well as you get sensor technology through the, the terminal and you know where the bottlenecks are, terminal side as well, it will help by the minute in terms of allocation of, of people uh, and equipment to reduce bottlenecks both tarmac side as well as uh, terminal side. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the one is the one element is training and, and around processes. I like the example around Formula One teams that practice a lot. So th- that that's one element. And then you mentioned technology that can drive efficiency. So it sounds like these two elements can, can really work together in addition to a traditional focus on cost cutting. With, with mentioning cost cutting, what else can we consider? Is there perhaps a case to, to look at partnerships and, and value? Yeah, I think longer term to, to pay for these big technology ticket items, there needs to be a more collaborative approach. So I think it's it's often in the airport's interest, for example, to be at the center of that in terms of uh, systems that, that speak to each other, data that, that, that works across the ecosystem. The natural place to, to drive that, I think, is the airport. Um, and they should be looking at, in terms of being the node of that, that data flow between airlines, NSPs, growing handlers. I think there's some other big ticket technology items as well that, that have uh, that raise you know legitimate question marks about who, who pays for this over what time frame what models are employed. So for example there's uh, EV and AV on the ground equipment side. So electrification is being pushed at the moment in terms of ground equipment. Electrification is probably not the answer for all airports. Some will prefer hydrogen. Both come with implications in terms of upgrading of infrastructure. So if airports take on plenty of EV ground handling equipment, then there's uh, implications in terms of the actual electricity grade, the transmission requirements nearby to serve that. Over time, though, um, you can see that uh, as a as a way to, to allow the ground handling space to reduce its own carbon footprint. In the slightly longer term, then, you can also see the, the potential for AV equipment. If you've got autonomous vehicles, it obviously reduces the human need on certain tarmac activities, but it also in, in likelihood reduces collisions, accidents, etc. And you've also got the, the future of aviation fuel to consider. So uh, whether the solution is electric, uh, hydrogen, or, or some other hybrid or sustainable fuel, each of those has their own implications in terms of the infrastructure needed uh, at, at the airport and the equipment requirements for ground handlers. So again, that, that won't come cheap. And mm-hmm. a final uh, big ticket technology item to consider is around VTOLs, vertical takeoff and landing planes. So what are the implications there? Vertical takeoff and landing has a, has a huge potential in terms of inter and intra-city travel and much of the talk to date, and there's been a lot of hype obviously in the sector, has been around point-to-point travel. But I see real uh, opportunity and disruption for general, the wider aviation uh, sector when uh, airside integration of, of VTOL flights becomes more popular. And VTOL effectively becomes a, another regional flight to connect into a, a wider aviation network. And so a traditional airport ground handler could just stand back and, and watch, you know, equivalent support providers uh, evolve in downtown vertical ports. And then eventually follow their their clients to the airports as well when, when VTOLs are integrated airside. Or ground handlers could be more proactive today and try to get in early into that uh, downtown vertical uh, play. 
if you think in terms of the, the, the business model implications for, for VTOL, each uh, air taxi might only have, say, you know, five, six passengers. And obviously, a regional jet can be 50 plus. So with each individual movement, the, the revenue opportunity is probably lower. But if uh, VTOL actually disrupts regional aviation to the extent that it replaces those flights, well, then instead of one movement, you might have 10 movements and spread over a longer time period. And that in itself, I think, brings uh, opportunity for, for brand handlers. You mentioned alternative fuels, which links to our previous discussion on mobility and different technology options. Also in aviation, investing in a specific technology will have longer term implications to be considered when deciding on what type of fuel infrastructure you will invest in as an airport. Yeah, exactly. So um, the, the direction in terms of the OEMs and airline preferences for, for fuels in future, it's still a little bit up in the air. I think it's clear Airbus have a preference at the moment for hydrogen, for example. There's other startups focusing on electric, but the, there's still question marks about range and size of plane for that, although they would argue that that fulfills the needs of, of quite a lot of the market in terms of very short short regional flights. So the direction travel isn't yet clear, and obviously ground handlers, you know, can't be making big bets uninformed or in the dark. Uh, so clearly, there's an element of decision making together with partners that needs a longer term perspective here. When when big technology changes are known, it's just not um, clear exactly what year, you know, yet they impact and and who's adopting which technology. And I think this raises a, a wider uh, thought that the collaboration between ground handlers and between ground handlers and airports and airlines generally needs to improve there's probably been an unhealthy um, race to the bottom in terms of ground handler contract values over the last decade going into the pandemic and obviously the uh, the relationship in, in the, that regard isn't too healthy because let's say if airlines are, are chasing ground handlers for another two or three percent discounted contract value that directly undermines the ability of a ground handler to invest for the future. That's not in the airline's own interest either. And when we talk about these technology um, disruptions ahead, clearly there's outlay required. And so rather than multiple um, ground handlers all owning their own equipment over time, you might imagine a smarter way of spending uh, and smarter spending on, on what it is. So realistically, if, if at an airport today you have the peak load requirement in terms of ground handling equipment for each operator, each ground handler, that uh, in total means you've got well in excess of the airport's actual peak capacity need. Now, I know competition can be a good thing, but there's also clear examples in the opposite direction where pooled resource at the airport, such as in Qatar or Toronto, clearly makes sense as well. So I think over the next decade or two, especially with expensive Roll out expectations around EV ground handling equipment, for example, then AV and, and, and other infrastructure, that you might see more innovative solutions in terms of the financing of those uh, equipment. So maybe airports or the OEMs take a central role and it's on a pay per use basis. Now, the key risk of a pay per use type model would be that the existing larger ground handlers think their market share might be easily under threat or that ground handlers and their airlines might worry about uh, priority access. But these are the types of things uh, that, that can be, I think, uh, ironed out with good and early stakeholder engagement, uh, because I think ultimately there's an opportunity here for win-win. The ground handlers can reduce costs 
while also having better, smarter equipment in the future. Take telematics example. You can probably spend more on each individual equipment item than you do today, but overall your, your equipment needs should reduce, especially if you go with a pooled uh, approach across ground handlers and with the airport. Chris, I think collaboration and partnership came out strongly then in the points you raised, but broader, what are some of the broader key takeaways um, from this research for you know ground handlers, airports, but also the airlines and the broader supply chain? Yeah, I think a key takeaway is that the existing model going into the pandemic wasn't really working. It was increasingly under strain. And people might have forgotten that in the short term as they're just desperate for any flight volumes to return and, and get back to so-called normality. But I don't think the, the ground handling sector will return to 2019. And so the earlier players realize um, that that difference and grow back differently and stronger, the better. If you look back over the kind of 15 years going into the last pandemic, what you would have seen is the ground hunters generally had a, a surge in, in spend around the 2007-8 bubble. In hindsight, obviously, uh, you know, the worst time to spend big. But then when the recession uh, hit in 2008-9, the capex spend by ground hunters dramatically fell off, you know, well in excess of RPK full. And as passenger volumes recovered throughout the last decade and in a, in a fairly sustained decade of growth, the ground handling spend on, on infrastructure and technology never really caught up. And that, that meant that, you know, before the pandemic, you know, 2019, et cetera, the ground handling business model was increasingly under strain. So really the, the race to the bottom on, on pricing, the lack of long-term investment in future technology, the inefficient overspending. Um, so in terms of an airport lens, you've got multiple ground handlers all, all buying for their maximum loads uh, and generally not enough uh, collaboration with, with airports and airlines and ANSPs uh, that would enable you know a future where, where data is, is shared for better results all around. So definitely some, some lessons there. Christine, ground handling is part of a series on, on aviation. Could you tell us a bit more what to expect in the next next issue that's coming out? Yeah, so we're now several episodes into our Aviation 2030 series. And just to, to set a bit of context, you know, KPMG already has great publications in terms of the short-term outlook for, for aviation and data aerospace as well. Uh, we were very conscious that because of the R&D timelines and, and regulatory approvals in aviation, that what comes to market, say, 15, 20 years from now, is already been influenced by investment uh, and strategic decisions today. So we wanted to practically take a longer-term uh, lens of what, what might be out there to disrupt players and that it can be turned to an advantage rather than a disadvantage if, if given um, thought. So in our first episode just, that came out just before the pandemic, we looked at the potential for decarbonizing aviation, we looked at the potential for roboticization in MRO, and we looked at the potential return of supersonics. In our second episode that came out just after the pandemic started, we looked at the potential long-term implications uh, of COVID on the sector. So much like 9-11 still casts a shadow 20 years later on airport operations, what might be those long-term uh, hangovers from a, a pandemic. We also looked at downtown uh, vertical ports and the rise of, of VTOLs and revolutionary plane design. This ground handling piece is our third episode uh, and looks at clearly the, um, the short-term 
practical steps in the longer term uh, technology disruption for brand handlers that we've mentioned. Up next, we'll be looking at an air taxi readiness index. So much like KPMG has a, a great um, autonomous vehicle readiness index series that looks at the, the policy, consumer, regulatory and certain technology levers are present in each country. We've taken a same uh, similar approach for air taxis um, to look at which countries might be pioneers and pioneering in which parts of the value chain across the air taxi market as it grows over the next 10, 15 years. Thank you, Chris. I look forward to, to reading that and speaking to you on the, on the next issue. Just as, as a side question, you mentioned the return of supersonics um, in the first edition. Just tell us a bit more. How do you see the return um, of supersonics in the current environment? Is it still something that will need more time? Yeah, so future flight is an interesting one. You've got several innovative areas that really go in gangbusters. Supersonic is one of them. VTOL is another. Uh, and uh, obviously, there's a probably more players in each of those segments today than, than will make it out the other end. Uh, but there's also a lot of funding in the, the sectors as well. So there's a lot of um, funding secured, uh, additional funding they'll be looking for, etc. The risk is obviously there's a financial bubble in this uh, area and that you know very few of them, if any, make it to commercial reality. I think though in practice, if you look at some of the supersonic players, I think there will be one or two that, that make it through, that have the funding to continue through this current downturn innovation, which shouldn't shouldn't impact them too much because essentially they're looking at flight trials and commercialization later this decade, early in the 2030s. So with, with that type of horizon, as long as they've got good backers financially, then they, they should be in a good place. And the likes of Boom already have provisional orders from uh, United. So I think there is appetite there from, from the kind of bigger picture thinking uh, airlines. Of course, there'll be challenge on the sustainability of, of supersonics. You know, uh, Concorde, for example, would have had a, a great reputation in terms of noise and particulate pollution, but also now the, the carbon aspect as well. And so the likes of Exosonic and, and Boom have been acutely aware of this and been designing that, that sustainability aspect in terms of fuel options in from, from the outset. Chris, thank you so much for, for taking us through um, this latest publication. It's been great speaking to you. Great. Thanks for your time. And that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, happy listening.